Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. The uh, title of the talk is A Simple Twist of Fate. Somebody during the break, uh, Annie came up and said, did you hear that song too today? And I didn't, uh, but I thought that was pretty cosmic. She said, wow, I haven't heard that song in a long time, and on the way here I I heard it on the radio, so is that why you're doing it? No, it's just another simple twist of faith. However, and if you're not familiar with that song, um, it's an old song um, by Bob Dylan, who I did see last night. So that's where it was in my, in my mind. I saw him. He was at uh, the uh, Bill Graham Civic Auditorium uh, with Mark Knopfler, the guitarist from Dire Straits, who is like my, just about my favorite guitarist. And um, I went with my son Adam, and um, Bob is back, I want to tell you. <laughs> Bob was having a really good time, <laughs> as, as strange as he is, he's, he's, he's into rock and roll and into, into music, um, and, but it was great to see he was having a good time. He was, I was a huge Bob Dylan fan. He was, he was really one of my idols growing up. I remember when, when he first, I was first getting into him when he, when he was uh, down in uh, Greenwich Village and uh, his first album was, came out, I think it's 61, 61 or 62. And my mother said, what are you listening to? And I said, this guy's going to be famous, Bob Dylan. And Dylan, you know, and then Paul Simon came out with a with a song later. She said, where he says, uh, "This guy's so unhip." When you say Dylan, they think you're talking about Dylan Thomas. You know, that was a line thirty years ago. Anyway, simple twist of fate. The theme has been going through my my mind actually this past week. Um, I was on a walk with, with Jane. We, we go, uh, when we can, we go walking early in the morning. Good, vigorous walk these days. And uh, just reflecting on how interesting, strange, unpredictable life is. And uh, looking at the twists and turns that make up somebody's journey that take you to places that you never would have guessed or predicted, and also that um, might seem like mistakes that then turn into not mistakes. And I reflect often that everything in my life, everything in your life, everything, the highs, the lows, the sadnesses, the joys, the blessings, the curses, everything has led you up to this moment right now and is part of shaping who you are. Everything 
for better or worse, everything. And when I look back on my life, my personal response is, how did I get here? Now, that's a different question than, how did I get here? But how did my life lead me to where it is now? And, and as uh, I, I feel so incredibly blessed. But when I look back on the different places, the different twists and turns that my life made that could have gone in a very different direction, walking through landmines in my younger days that could have easily blown up and brought me on a very different trajectory, uh, as well as people in our life that have affected us both inspirationally or negatively that I had the uh, analogy of, um, I'm sure everybody knows the game Shoots and Ladders. You know the game Shoots and Ladders, the kids' game Shoots and Ladders. I played that when I was a kid. It's still a game that they play now. Shoots where you kind of, you're going up and up and up, and then all of a sudden you hit a spot where the shoot, uh, you're going up the ladder, and then the shoot comes down, and you're back to square one, and then you go up and up and up, and it's like, can you somehow navigate your life so that the ladders outweigh the shoots and you get to the promised land. But when, we th- when I think about this simple twist of fate, it's really so mysterious, isn't it? When I, I think about my, my life, <clears throat> just a few things that, that shaped me, and then I want us all to explore that for ourselves. And I, I have a few stories of, of others to, to share. Um, when I was growing up, as my, my mother says, and she's now 94, and we're in very, we have a great relationship. Uh, and if you haven't seen her, she's a, a star on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> Many people have. If you're new, just look up um, Confessions of a Jewish Mother, How My Son Ruined My Life, which is now up to over 200,000 views. And she talks about how she was a warrior, and can still, she still can be a warrior, but very, um, she would see the glass as half empty, and how you know, often she'd see what's wrong. And I ruined her life because she she somehow got into a gratitude practice where in the last five years she's been seeing what's right and it's completely shifted her. Uh, But when I was growing up, she would worry a lot and often, um, you know, there could be negative, oh, this is wrong or that's wrong, that's wrong. And I... At some point, my dad was completely different. It's all going to work out. So it was the perfect marriage, of course. They loved each other very much. And, uh, but at some point, I kind of I decided that um, I wasn't going to go that route 
and I don't know, and I'm, I didn't have a lot of confidence, but I just saw, I don't want to do it that way. And um, so that was a little twist of fate, because it could have been taking on, and I'm sure that there's a lot of stuff that I did take, I know there's a lot of stuff that I did take on, but having a worldview of the world is a dangerous place. And I, I didn't take that one on. It could have gone either way. And it often does. But somehow, um, for whatever reason, you might call it karma, you might call it grace, you might call it the mystery, uh, I somehow was led in another direction. When another key I was actually the on the walk with Jane. I thought of this. Uh, I hadn't thought about it in ages. A key little mm, event plopped into my consciousness, which had a huge effect on me. When I was very young, there was a cartoon that you can still you can Google. You can get it on YouTube if you uh, go to YouTube and put in the sunshine makers. This is like a six minute cartoon that was made, I think, in, ni- in the 1930s or uh, 30s or 40s by Borden, which was a, a, a dairy, it's a milk, Borden's milk. Is there still Borden's milk? Still, I don't know. Anyway, there was this film, this cartoon that they made, the, sh- the sunshine makers, it was actually, you didn't know it, it was promoting milk, but it was just, it was bottles of sunshine, but they looked like milk bottles. So in that cartoon, there were the, I forget what they call them, but the, the, the nasties, the, the downers, basically, who their theme song, I remember this very well, <clears throat> I don't want to be happy I want to be sad. I don't want to be happy. I want to be sad. Life is just the bowl of lemons. <laughs> so those are those guys, right? The other, the sunshine makers, over the top. La, 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 la. We are the sunshine makers. La, 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 la. And they have their bottles of milk, of sunshine, that look like milk bottles. I didn't know it was by, I, when I looked it up on YouTube, they said, oh, this is, it was, writ, it was put together by Borden, so, and as a kind of subliminal, you know, get you to drink your milk. And the sunshine makers would take their bottles of sunshine, and um, they'd sling them, they have like slingshots, and they'd, hit the, the downers, the, depression, the depressives, and as soon as they got hit, it was like, you know, I don't want to be happy. We are the sunshine maker. You know? And I thought, wow, that's very cool. You know? Wow, you can make, you can turn somebody who's really down and depressed into happiness. This is on my six-year-old, five or six-year-old brain. 
And my sister, who's about four years older than I, we watched this, we saw it a number of times because it became kind of like my, my theme song. Not, not that I would yell, would sing out the Sunshine Maker um, theme, but that whole perspective of good overcoming evil or overcoming unhappiness, sadness. It's actually, when uh, Yellow Submarine came out years later, I thought, oh, it's the Sunshine Makers gone psychedelic. Um, <laughs> and it was one of my favorite movies because at the, ba- at the end, the blue meanies turned to uh, inhabitants of Pepperland. But seeing that movie almost 60 years later, I remember it, and it had this deep impact on me. Isn't that amazing? Didn't have to. I could have been kind of like preoccupied doing something else, but somehow it it hit. And uh, let's see. Wanted to share with you a few other stories of twists of fate. Actually, before before I go on to another one, just an extension of that uh, sunshine maker um, theme. And I I mentioned this. I don't know if I've mentioned this recently. Have I talked about Queens College in here recently? No. So, and I, I write about this in Awakening Joy. When I was in Queens College, um, uh, I got into a very existential perspective. I was reading a lot of Camus and Sartre and, and kind of, it, it, like, life doesn't have any real meaning and uh, you're born, you suffer, and then you die, and that's, that's the story. And I couldn't find any meaning to my life. And I, um, every, every conversation that I would get into for this period of time was soon a depressive um, uh, exposition on you know, why life is a drag, right? This is from Awakening, the Awakening Joy guy. And I was in that space for a while until one day, another little opening where the sunshine maker reality came back to me because it's kind of all of those things are in there and sometimes they come to the foreground and sometimes they're forgotten and then kind of wake up Um, but I um, I saw in the Queens College cafeteria how um, everyone I just this one afternoon just surveying everybody in the cafeteria and I realized everybody had their own story, their own way of being, but everybody wanted to be happy, was wanting to find some happiness in their life. And the thought came to me, well, bringing a little bit more happiness into this world and somehow sharing that with others could bring some meaning to life. And I don't know, I wasn't sure how I could do it because I wasn't 
feeling very happy myself at that time, but I got clear that would give life meaning to bring more happiness into the world. Just that moment, instead of being depressed as I had been for months, in a moment I saw another way. There are these moments that can just turn us around. This is from um, How We Choose to Be Happy, a book that I love and, and like to turn people on to um, who do the joy course and um, anyone. And it's filled with stories of people who are certifiably happy. Uh, Rick Foster and Greg Hicks researched for three years finding truly happy people and wanting to know why they're happy and came out with a few different um, principles that they all shared. And one of these people is a woman that they called Maddie. Um, And I know the authors, Rick and Greg, and they say that it was even worse than they than they uh, just presented in the book. They didn't get into all the sort of details. But this is Maddie's story, this very buoyant, radiant personality. As she told us the story of her life, the contrast between the happy woman we saw before us and the unhappy childhood she described was remarkable. Maddie's parents were part of the Hollywood elite of the early 1950s, she should have had an idyllic childhood, enjoying the opulent grounds of the mansion in which she was raised. But each new day in the lives of nine-year-old Maddie and her little brother Carl brought new uncertainties and fears. Their mother, alcoholic, drug-addicted, and violent, periodically took an axe to the family Cadillac. As Maddie's mother, mother's addictions took hold and her violent behavior increased, Maddie's father abandoned the family. Eventually, even the servants fled in the face of her unpredictable rages. Maddie and Carl were left alone with their disturbed mother, who often didn't leave the house for days on end. Miles from the nearest market, they lived on peanut butter and tried to stay out of their mother's way. And this is her talking. My brother and I were, unu- were usually by ourselves all day long. On school days, the bus dropped us off to a quiet and foreboding house. Some days, we'd hardly see our mother at all. We were so unhappy, almost numb. I knew the kids at school were different from us. I wanted to be like them. They were relaxed. They laughed and joked and seemed to really enjoy their days. This was mysterious to me at the time. Then one day, I said to myself, I'm going to be happy, just like the other kids. I remember telling Carl I had it all figured out. Maddie could see that her mother was miserable compared to the other mothers she knew, and so she reasoned that the only way to be happy was to do exactly the opposite of what her mother did. She came up with an ingenious plan to learn in reverse. Her talking again. One day, sitting on the steps outside the vacant servants' quarters where we could hide out, Carl and I made a pact. We promised each other that we would find new ways to be happy every day. And each time we did, whether it was playing a new game, telling a new joke, or having a good laugh, we would be different from her. This was a moment that will be etched in my memory forever. Carl and I still talk about it as the liberating moment in our childhood.
Now, how did that come to her? Who knows? And she could have just gotten, as often happens, a, a, a history of abuse can lead to, to more abuse, can lead to being a victim, could lead to being a perpetrator, could lead to so many other things. But she ended up as one of these certifiably happy people. How curious. Just that moment. We saw, um, Jane and I went to a, a, a gathering recently of some of her old friends. She's known for decades. And this one guy who's a beautiful guy and, and very generous. And she was sharing with me about his early years when she knew him 30, 40 years ago. He had been a very successful business person who then uh, got into um, substances, particularly cocaine, and his life was going down the tubes until a friend of theirs, a kind of uh, mentor, said, you've got to change your life or you're, go- you're going to be losing it. And he uh, convinced him to take some major changes in his life. And he was going downhill. He came out of it, did a lot of 12-step stuff, and was so grateful, as sometimes people are who've been down at the bottom, was so grateful that he, um, you can feel his goodness and his joy and his generosity and his playfulness. I know other people who didn't have that turnaround. We all probably do. So how does that happen? As perhaps you know, the Buddha said that if you try to figure out karma, it is one of the great mysteries, one of the great, it's called an imponderable that if you try to figure it out too much, you'll go crazy. One of the four things he said, don't try to figure out why this happened to so-and-so and that kind of interpretation. The other three, just in case you don't go crazy wondering about, the other three are how it all began, the start of this mysterious physical plane, the range of a mind in the deepest uh, absorption states of concentration and the range of a Buddha mind. That we can't comprehend that unless we are, we have that experience for ourselves. But he said, although it's imponderable, it is real that everything is unfolding because of causes and conditions. Now, check that. I shouldn't say everything, because there are some things that don't, that aren't subject to the law of karma, like accidents and um, uh, changes in the weather and uh, certain other unpredictable things. 
but mostly we are uh, influencing and developing habits of thinking and behaving that are conditioned from the past and will condition the future. Now the mysterious thing is where somebody is heading towards the negative end of things, how there can be a a seeing of the light. How does that come about? One could say, and there are stories in the Buddha's time where he says, oh, this person did something good, you know, five lifetimes before, and, uh, and here it's bearing fruit. Who knows? I don't know if that's so. But that's what, there are many stories in the teachings. Or because you were this and did these good acts of generosity, then it bears fruit. There's one story of a guy who was um, very generous, but then uh, he, he gave a great offering to um, to the uh, to some ascetics, but then he regretted it afterwards, and it was said that he would spend um, life a number of lifetimes as a as a very rich miser. So he became very. Very uh, good fortune, grace with good fortune, but couldn't enjoy it. I don't know about that stuff. But it's very clear that once you see the light, once you see the possibility, even if you've been blind, as the song Amazing Grace says, I was blind, but now I see. That once you see that, once you see the light, if you're fortunate enough to really be present for it and let it touch you and let it transform you, then you get a glimpse of the possibilities. And then if you're fortunate enough to be in circumstances that support that glimpse, you then perhaps can practice in the uh, in the discourse on blessings the the buddha says mm. to be reverent and humble content and grateful to hear the dharma at the right time this is a blessing supreme just to be able to hear the truth of where happiness lies and then to be patient, visit with spiritual people, to discuss and practice the Dharma at the right time. This is a blessing supreme. So it's a real blessing that you can both hear the Dharma, and whether it's Buddha Dharma or some body of wisdom that turns you towards the light, And then an extraordinary blessing to not only be able to hear it, maybe read it in a book or hear somebody give a talk, but 
find support where you're actually practicing, where you're actually practicing developing, cultivating wholesome qualities in your heart and in your mind, this is extraordinarily good karma. When you think of how many people in this world don't have good circumstances, and here we are, us, we live in the Bay Area, which is pretty good in itself, and probably will have a roof over our head and food on the table. And then to have good circumstances and want to develop your heart, heartfulness and your wisdom and your clarity, that is extraordinary. Of all the people who have good circumstances, it's not that many who see that happiness is not about getting as much as you can, as quick as you can. But it doesn't always require good circumstances. Just like Maddie, Maddie's story, there are many, many people who have awful circumstances that somehow, mysteriously, a simple twist of fate has enabled them to not only rise above their situation, but become inspirations. And I wanted to share with you a story perhaps you're familiar with of um, a man uh, named Ishmael Bea, who wrote a book called uh, A Long, Long Way Home. What's that? A long way gone, sorry, long way gone. Thank you. Did you read it? Who? Pretty good. Yeah, long way gone. Who was, uh, he was a child soldier in Sierra Leone. And at the age of 13, forced to become a child soldier, <clears throat> separated from his family, spent months wandering south with a group of other boys, and then he was forced to become a child soldier. By his account, he fought for almost three years before being rescued by UNICEF. He fought the government for the government army against rebels. And in 1997, he fled Freetown, where he was staying with the help of, by the help of UNICEF, um, where he, due to increasing violence, and found his way to New York but where it says, wait a second, yeah. He was rescued by a coalition of, in 96 of, by UNICEF and uh, NGOs. He found the transition difficult. He and his fellow child soldiers fought frequently. He credits one volunteer, Nurse Esther, with having the patience and compassion required to bring him through that difficult period. She recognized his interest in American rap and reggae since he was a kid, and she gave him a Walkman and a Run DMC cassette and employed music as his bridge to the past prior to the violence. Slowly, he accepted her assurances that it's not your fault. And then when he was uh, 
living in Freetown with, with an uncle. He went to school and was invited to speak, oh, in 1996 at the UN in New York when Freetown was overrun by the, by the joint forces of rebels and army in 1997, um, he contacted this woman, Laura Sims, who he'd met just the year before, and he basically adopted her as his mother. He said, hi, mom, <laughs> will you please help me? because he, f- he had this connection with her, and she gave him a lot of love. And at first she said, whoa, I don't know if I'm ready for this. But somehow, by dint of his will and goodness and, and uh, depth of heart connection, she, f- she heard his plea, and she said, okay, come live with me. And he has now become a human rights activist. Inspiring, very inspiring. You can see him on YouTube. Beautiful, gorgeous uh, man. How is that possible from child soldier to human rights activist? There's no predicting this, but if you are fortunate enough to have had a glimpse of where happiness lies, to have heard the Dharma or the truth, whether you call it Buddha Dharma or whatever packaging of the truth, and then have the opportunity to practice it this is, it's an ongoing commitment to just face in the right direction. We blow it all the time. And it's so easy to think, oh, I blew it, who was I kidding? I'm just a phony or whatever. We blow it all the time. But if you are very clear that your way is to face towards greater and greater consciousness, then everything takes care of itself through your own commitment to waking up. How you might have gotten that first seed planted or everything that brought you up to that wake-up call is mysterious, but if you've gotten it, and I think everybody here, to come here on a Thursday night and and practice together, there's something that you heard that you can't ignore. And to really celebrate that, no matter what else is happening in your life, whether you're you know, bummed out about certain situations or circumstances, or maybe not as measuring up to your success of what you'd like to see for yourself, or however you measure yourself, You've done something right to hear that call, to be able to hear it and really be drawn to, uh, to develop your noble qualities. And with that, the key, 
at least in the teachings, one of the keys is when you get clear on your intention, then it is holding your whole life in a very different context. The first link of the Eightfold Path is wise understanding, where you see where suffering is created and the possibility of the end of suffering. The second link, once you see for yourself, oh, this is where happiness or suffering are lying, then the second link is called wise, sometimes it's called wise thought, and sometimes it's called wise intention. And wise intention says, okay, I see how the game is played, and I am going for well-being. And you have what's called your clear comprehension of purpose. Clear, you are clear about what inspires you, not what's going to give you a, a quick hit, but what truly inspires you. And when you are established in that clear comprehension of purpose, that is why you practice, whether it's about becoming as loving as you can be or tra- uh, transforming your suffering into happiness or becoming enlightened or whatever, your, whatever it is that does it for you, whatever your inspiration for practice is, once you get that clear comprehension of purpose, it holds, it's the context that you live your life through. So with that feeling, when you are absolutely established and saying, okay, this is where I'm heading, the natural response is gratitude, is that feeling of amazing grace. Like, wow, it could have gone a whole lot different, but somehow I have the support and the understanding and surrounding yourself with with good friends certainly helps. I'm facing in the right direction. So I want to just ask you just to reflect for a few moments within yourself, and just uh, you might go inside, close your eyes for a moment, and uh, look back on your life, just a little life review all the twists and turns that could have gone differently that might have been processed in a different way that have somehow led you to where you are now. And then through that whole journey, see if you can notice particular turning points. Maybe because you had hit the bottom and you were ready to see or hear. Maybe because you were inspired in a moment of grace by 
hearing or reading some wisdom that touched you, that reminded you of what you know inside. Maybe because you had a, a major event that shook up the foundation of all your beliefs. Look at the turning point or turning points. There probably were a few. Just pick out one or, or two. And as you do, as you get clear, oh, that helped me turn in the right direction. Just feel the, the grace of that mysterious karmic unfolding. that set you on a, a direction of wholeness, connection. Okay. And I think uh, just for the fun of it, um, let's spend a few minutes um, sharing among ourselves just the turning point and how it turned you in the right direction. And then we'll come back for a, a group discussion. You can, if you want, you can uh, um, get together in groups of three or two if you prefer. We'll take, uh, oh, about uh, eight or nine minutes or so for this, and then we'll come back for some questions. So just sharing your turning points. It's fun to do that. It kind of reminds you, and you can inspire others as you, uh, as you share or as you listen. So please, turn to somebody near you, one or two people, and, uh, and share. Okay, just a few more minutes. Three or four minutes. Okay, finishing up. You can uh, thank your partners and come on back. So, it's fun, isn't it? When you think about, wow, yeah, that really, that really happened. That really made a difference in my life. <clears throat> and just maybe even hearing other stories, it's like, oh, cool, what's your story? You know, How did we end up here? So any comments, or uh, we just have a few minutes left, but either about any insights that you might have had, or um, perhaps uh, if you want to share how you keep facing in the right direction, uh, either of those. Let's... Um, See what's out there. <laughs> Emptiness. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Facing, it, facing in the right direction is just coming here every Thursday night for me, <laughs> 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 and retreat and yoga and just. Um, 
staying with the practice and going inside instead of looking externally for mm-hmm. for happiness. And your joy class helped a lot too. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And that's one of the things that the, the Buddha talks about over and over about in that uh, Blessing Sutta, he talks about it, keeping company with the wise and with like-minded friendships and avoiding company of the foolish, as, it's, as, he, as he says. Because we're so susceptible to our environment. And that's one of, the, one of the real blessings of encountering teachings and then being with other people who share those values then you are being reminded and you're reminding each other when you forget. Uh, so that facing in the right direction, knowing you've got some company, makes a big difference. Right. Yeah, Jim. Um, in your beginning meditation class, you said there's lots of lists and uh, you know, there's lots of lists, and the you know the four noble truths, and the four noble truths ends up in the eightfold path, and the mm-hmm. fifth of the eightfold path in particular is what I'm going to want to share about right now. Has four new pieces, uh, you know, the, so you get to the uh, right effort. And what I'm what I am particularly interested in now is how right effort talks about when you know the four pieces or the, the four right efforts or four noble efforts or whatever it is of uh, figure out what it is when you're in a, in a healthy mind state, a wholesome mind state, what, is it, what effort helps to keep you there? Mm-hmm. And when you're not in a healthy, wholesome mind state, what effort helps to get you there? Mm-hmm. And when you're in a lousy mind state, what helps to get you out of there? And when you're not in a lousy mind state, what effort helps to keep you from falling into it? Mm-hmm. And it's not a matter of sort of prescriptive, this is what you do, but it's a matter of mindfulness. Pay attention to what is it that, you know, are you in a good mind state? Okay, what got you there? Mm-hmm. Are you still in a good mind state? What kept you there? Ah, I just learned mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Are you in a lousy mind state? Okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the Buddha doesn't say you can't never be in a lousy mind state. He says, mm-hmm. when you're there, pay attention, figure it out. Mm-hmm. What got you there? Mm-hmm. So that and, and then you, you notice, hey, I'm not in a lousy mind state. What got me out of this? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Just sort of paying right. attention and... and and sort of the, the patientness that you talk about a lot and, or the kindness to, to self. Mm-hmm. And always just sort of saying, hey, there's always a way to learn about how to get in a better mind state or to get less of a lousy mind state. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, one, one thing that you, you reminded me that I wanted to mention is um, that we have an internal GPS towards well-being. And one of the best ways to um, assess whether you are uh, whether you are in uh, whether you're heading in the right direction or whether you are facing in the right direction is to what degree there's expansion or contraction in the mind, in the body, and in the heart. Not that it's bad to be, part of being human is at times being contracted. But if this is where you're mainly hanging out, if there's some kind of contraction, particularly in the mind, then there's something that's, and and it's been going on for a while, besides just the natural grieving process or 
the feelings that we, we process when we go through hard, hard times, but rather just a familiar rut that you're in, then that's a clue that there's something amiss. And when you start to feel that openness and that ease, that is a clue. Keep on doing that. That's, you're in, you're, you're, you're going, you're going the right way. Um, and again, this is not about arriving at some kind of wonderful destination where you're never bummed out, but just, it's an, it's an ongoing way to check in. Okay, is, is, am I open to feeling the support of life? Am I open to feeling the goodness inside me or the love around me? So that's the internal GPS that, that helps with keeping that wise effort. Okay, so um, we need to end. But I, I hope that uh, just in reflecting, you feel the grace of your own life and how fortunate you are or have been to hear that call and the gratitude that comes out of it, which is just wanting to share your blessings with everyone. So just closing your eyes for a moment and feeling that grace. Maybe a a simple thank you to life. And Wishing yourself well, may I feel all the goodness and wisdom and love inside and share it. And then to extend that to everyone near and far, may all hear their own wisdom and feel their own goodness and share their love well. May all learn the path leading to real happiness. And may our coming here together have a beneficial effect for all beings everywhere. May all find happiness and peace. Thank you very much. Have a great week. (coughs) See you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.